So say we all, higher side chatters from the Sunshine State. I'm Greg Carlwood. And on March 8th, 2014, the Malaysian Airlines flight known as MH370 was on a journey from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing and disappeared from radar systems, stopped making communication with air traffic control, and essentially vanished, carrying 12 Malaysian crew members and 227 passengers from 14 different nations, making it the deadliest incident involving a Boeing 777 in history. To this day, there is no real official story, only speculations that it crashed into the South China Sea due to some sort of malfunction or a suicidal pilot making his dramatic exit. But friends and family say that is extremely uncharacteristic of the person they knew, and the 25-country search for wreckage never found anything truly convincing other than a small wing flap that critics say could have came from anywhere. Adding to the mystery is the fact that the transponder was turned off and all onboard and underwater tracking devices seemingly failed. Alternative theories range from an attempted hijack to a targeted takedown due to who was on the plane. Most commonly assumed to have something to do with the 20 employees from Freescale, a semiconductor company, being on board. But just two months after the flight's disappearance, an obscure YouTube account, Regicide Anon, who frequently posted UFO-related videos, had posted a video of satellite footage of a plane that seemed to match MH370 being encircled by three rapidly moving orbs. The orbs eventually synced up with a locked rotational pattern around the craft, and then with a sudden flash, the aircraft disappears from midair. Oddly, this clip sat on YouTube for years without anyone really taking notice. Later, a second thermal video clip of the same event from a completely different source also surfaced, making the idea of a hoax less likely, and attempts to debunk the footage have been less than convincing to many. Quickly, a community of independent researchers and curious enthusiasts formed via Reddit, and a new investigation was underway. Curiously, several accounts and communities have been banned from Reddit along the way, which only works to make it seem like someone very much does not want this information or the footage out there. Well, today we're talking to Ashton Forbes, who has emerged as the leading representative of this alternative research effort. And whether this was a mid-air multidimensional abduction or some Philadelphia Experiment 2.0, I look forward to getting into all the various threads and details that make this case as provocative as it is convincing. So let's do it. Citizen journalist, seeker of truth, and the MH370 disappearance detective himself, Ashton Forbes. Welcome to the higher side. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, thanks for doing it. I really wanted to try to get all the foundational context out of the way so we could get more into the meat of all this. But is there anything you would add or change to what I just laid out? Yeah, there were a couple of inaccuracies in there. So first, the official narrative has it flying into the South Indian Ocean, not the South China Sea. However, it did go dark over the South China Sea, which is important to point out because there are two significant events that happened for this plane. One is at 1721 UTC over the South China Sea where the plane does indeed go dark. And the reason why this is important is that for the whole plane to go dark, it's pretty mysterious. It requires multiple things, cascading failures to happen simultaneously. From researching into it, it seems impossible that the pilot could have done this on their own. It would require either a coordinated effort or some other additional people to be involved for that to happen. 
The second event is the event that we see in our videos or the event where the plane disappears. And that's at 1840 UTC that we've come to conclude. The official narrative would have you believe that at this location, this plane turns into the South Indian Ocean and flies for another five or six hours until it runs out of fuel and crashes into the sea. So that's the only correction I would make. But otherwise, I think you're pretty close. <laughs> right on. Well, I'm not surprised I screwed a couple of things up. But crucial to this whole argument that UFOs or orbs or some exotic military technology teleported this craft out of the sky mid-flight is the authenticity of this really wild footage. If the footage isn't authentic, then the whole thing falls apart. And the alternative community is always plagued with hoaxes and fakes. It almost never ends. So we have to spend some time early on going over the reasons why we should take this footage seriously. Make your case. <laughs> well, the first thing I would say is, you know, why is this footage reemerged is what people will ask. And how is it only now, nine years later, even though we've been able to prove that this footage was originally from 2014, that people are taking it seriously? And the answer to that question is that our collective conscious has risen to a point where we can accept what we see in the videos to be real. We needed to see the DOD Navy 2017 leaks, which showed us what military infrared drone cameras would even look like. Without that, we had no basis to understand that the MQ-1C Gray Eagle thermalized color video is authentic. We also needed to see the 2019 Trump satellite leak. Before that, these satellite images are some of the most closely held guarded secrets of the U.S. military. We had no idea of what their capabilities might even be. But in 2019, when Trump leaked that picture, we had a very good idea of what a low Earth orbit imagery might look like. And it turns out the satellite we think was relaying this information was sent up in the same year as that satellite, which was USA-224. Now, in addition to that, we had to understand the science. And from 2020 and beyond, there's been a number of papers now that have shown that humanly traversable wormholes are consistent with theoretical physics. Not just that, but they don't necessarily require exotic matter in any way, and that they could create a shell around an object that could allow it to go through the wormhole without negative effects. The last two things that we needed are relatively recent. LK99, superconductivity. Humanity is on the verge of superconductivity, which will change and reshape the world. Prior to this, that had seemed like too far advanced that we might not ever see anything like superconductivity. And just as an example of what that might mean is that your phone may never heat up again. You may be able to have a phone that has a battery life significantly longer than what you have right now. We may be able to transmit power over long distances with no degradation or loss due to heat. And then the last thing is AI. So when we look at these videos, it looks too unusual to believe that it could be real. Many people, including myself, believed initially that this must be some non-human intelligence because it looks so exotic. But when you take into account the fact of AI, chat GPT that we now use on a daily basis, you start to understand that what we see here is a computer program that's being run potentially by an advanced artificial intelligence that can very accurately create the pattern that we're seeing. So that is the basis to even understand these videos to be real. Then beyond that, from the debunk perspective, you need to be able to come up with a comprehensive story for how these videos could be hoaxed. And the linchpin there is that you have a very short window of time from looking at the archive footage that we have from registered and on account, specifically the satellite footage. The description on there says received March 12th, 2014. That's just four days after the disappearance of Malaysian Airlines Flight 370. So unless you believe that Regicide Anon, which as you pointed out, was just a UFO YouTube account, was somehow directly involved in the hoax, then there's really not enough time to even begin to create these videos. 
There is nothing that these videos would have come from either. They would be completely original works. So I have a list that I think will pretty conclusively show that there's no chance that these could be faked. Now, the upload date on that video is May 19th, 2014, which is roughly 72 days after. So the first thing is that if, unless you believe that Regicide Anon was involved, you have four days. And if you think that they were involved somehow, now you have 72 days. So you have between four and 72 days to create the first video. There's no reference copy. You would have to know how to create realistic volumetric clouds. The clouds that we see are extremely accurate. There's no discrepancies anywhere throughout these videos from a visual effects perspective, not in a single frame. You'd have to know how to accurately animate the cameras, how clouds form at the low altitudes, because we see these are cumulus clouds, which only form at very low altitudes, how to accurately reflect the light off of these volumetric clouds. The zap itself accurately illuminates the clouds in the foreground and in the background. You'd have to know exactly what MH370 looks like and the turn radius of a Boeing 777 in its certain altitude while it's in descent, which we've also proven that it is turning and it's in descent from the videos. You'd have to know where the plane was at this exact time, which is in the Nicobar Islands, because we can see that there's coordinates in the bottom of the screen. You'd have to know how to accurately animate these coordinate shifts that we see in the satellite video. You'd have to know what the weather was like in the Nicobar Islands, because we've shown from the weather satellite imagery between about one hour before or after this event that we can see these low altitude cumulus clouds. You'd have to also accurately be able to create the smoke that we see trailing from the plane and the particles involved in that. In addition to that, the orbs, as they're going through the plane, you can see that they're distorted when they go through the smoke that's coming off of the back of the plane. You'd have to know what the thermal looks like to the level that would fool experts. And I'm talking about the MQ-1C Gray Eagle drone here. This also means you'd have to have knowledge of military classified systems that were completely unknown to the public. As I just mentioned, we had no basis for what this would even look like until 2017, unless you were somebody who was already in the military. You would have to know to create a frame rate difference between the mouse and the satellite footage in the background, where there's a 24 frames per second versus 6 frames per second difference, which indicates that it was filmed on a Citrix session. So you would have had to build that into the hoax videos as well. You'd have to know what type of mouse they use, which we believe is a plural view 3D type mouse, which is used to basically move the screen around, similar to how you would move Google Earth around. You would have to know what satellites the US has in operation and what their payloads are. You'd have to know what the false color IR looks like in the satellite imagery that we see, how to create the 3D stereoscopic imagery that we see from the satellite video. We've converted this video that we see is scrunched together side by side as two different cameras angled down. And it can be converted to a 3D video where you can wear red and blue glasses and you can actually see it in 3D. You have to know how to animate those orbs in addition to what I mentioned from the flowing through the back of the plane and the particle system that we see that is in front of the orbs that's pulling them forward, almost like a gravity engine. You would have to know what the MQ-1C Gray Eagle drone looks like, what its payload is, and how to get the camera angle exactly correct to be in the right position. You would also have to know not to use a 2D visual effect in a 3D environment, which is the debunk that most people think of, is that they don't realize that it's a low quality effect from the 90s. It's two-dimensional. In order to create the multiple different angles we see, someone would have to render a full 3D environment, which would then necessitate using a 3D visual effect or doing a high amount of effort to convert a 2D visual effect into a 3D visual effect. And then most importantly, you would have to know that we would never find the plane, not even nine years later. Otherwise, the whole thing would fall apart. 
Wow. Yes. You're making a hell of a case. And when I look at this footage, I think it seems pretty interesting. Of course, you're looking at something that you've never seen before. So the term ontological shock, which you mention a lot, does apply. And you have to watch it over and over again to try to see what you think it would look like if orbs really did teleport a plane out of the sky. The debunking that did the most damage to people's enthusiasm, you did reference, which is this claim that the portal flash we see in the video was an asset from a video game called Killing Time from the 3DO console back in 1995. I personally was not that convinced by that because a modern fake would have much better tools than a pixelated game asset from 1995. There's stuff baked into VFX programs way better than that. So you'd have to go really out of your way to extract a file from a defunct game from a defunct console that's back from when I was in the fifth grade. So that didn't really add up to me. And we can maybe mention the person who made that claim and the sketchy details around them popping up out of nowhere. But the other claim I saw regarding the satellite was that if it was a satellite image, the satellite would be much, much higher in the sky. And I thought about that and I was like, mm, maybe, because it does seem kind of parallel or eye level with the plane or even below it at some points. But Talk to us about that, because we are really digesting two pieces of footage, the Gray Eagle drone footage and what I think is called the USA 229 satellite footage. Yeah, so there are multiple different types of satellites that are out there. So you, when you're thinking of a satellite looking straight down, you're thinking of a geostationary satellite. These satellites pretty much stay in the same position, but they will shift north and south a little bit just due to the rotation of the Earth and axis of the Earth. They are at roughly 40,000 kilometers in the sky, which is very, very high in the sky. In order to take imagery, it's been assumed that these have radar dishes that are similar to what Hubble may have, so extremely advanced. Now, with respect to the ones that we are seeing and the one that Trump leaked, these are low Earth orbit satellites, LEOs. Their altitude is roughly 900 to 1100 kilometers, depending on which one you're looking at. So this is roughly 40 times lower to the ground than those geostationary satellites, which is why you see them at such an acute angle. There's another type of satellite orbit as well called Molina orbits. Now these orbits are somewhat oblong and unusual, and these make better sense for command satellites that are relaying information. The one that we see the designation on the bottom of the satellite footage is NRL-22. The debunks that you'll find out there from Newsweek and France 24 incorrectly state that these are either NRL 77 or NRL 33. Those are both incorrect. And those are the only facts in those debunks, and just for the record. Now, NRL 22, we've shown is roughly around the North Pole at the time of 1840 UTC, looking down directly at what we believe to be the satellite that was sending this imagery here to the Cibber system, USA 229. We were able to recreate the exact location of this. Now, USA-229, very importantly, has a sister satellite right next to it. It's officially classified as debris, if you go look it up in Google, but amateur astronomers have noticed it. This is important because we need two satellites that are looking down to create the 3D stereoscopic imagery that we see. So this is the smoking gun. This satellite has a satellite pair in the exact right location to take the video that we see. Now, some people have argued that the satellite would be moving quicker, that we should see more apparent movement. 
Now, I would also argue as well that we don't know the capabilities. These are all classified. And when the USA 224, the Trump leak was proven, people didn't think that was possible either because it's removing all this atmospheric interference that would otherwise be in the way. So I would argue that it's no problem for them to incorporate the movement of the satellite into the video that we see, especially because what we think we're looking at here is a large, very large field of view, like battlefield space that would be equivalent to a real-time video playback of Google Earth, where the user can move around. And what's happening is all these different satellites, both the geostationary and the low Earth orbit ones, are transmitting data through this network called the SIGINT system and the SIBRS system, which is signals intelligence and space-based infrared system. The purpose of these systems is actually to track missiles, boats, planes, and battlefield awareness that I just mentioned. So the idea here is this is all relaying information to create a battlefield map. And this essentially negates any concerns about what the screen should be looking like or the satellite moving. Because if you're somebody who's trying to view this battlefield space for intelligence purposes, you know, you're not going to want it to be moving at a high rate of speed. It needs to be something that is something that's perceptible to the person who is logging in and looking at it. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned the mouse on the screen, which people should know is because this footage is somebody captured it from like a seat like we're sitting in now and took an imagery of the screen in front of them. So you don't know how big that screen really is or what the original footage contained. They were just focused on this one event because clearly this is probably the most interesting thing going on at the time. And when people watch the footage, it is like a dual screen. We see two side-by-side images. This is what you're talking about with the 3D stereoscopic aspect because these two images are combined to make that 3D effect. And if someone was going to fake it, they wouldn't go to that extreme, I don't think. So that is pretty interesting. And so if we could, I'd like to jump to having you walk us through what happened and why it happened. And then we can backfill it with all the different details as to why you come to these conclusions. Because the footage probably leaves a lot of people with more questions than answers. And I understand the community is a bit fractured over the possibilities. So I want to hear the narrative that you consider most likely now that we've made a pretty damn good case that the footage is authentic. Yeah. And before I do that, I want to mention and just reply to what you just mentioned there, which is that there is a ton of intent that can be gleaned from the videos. And everything that I've written about has basically been deduced from just watching the videos. So the mouse you mentioned, there's two different analogs at play. There's a black mouse that you see that does not change the coordinates. So what we're seeing here is we're looking at a Citrix session. We're not looking at someone who recorded it with a camera. They didn't use their phone when they recorded this. They were actually logged in and used a screen recording of their actual monitor. You can actually watch the mouse move off to the bottom left of the screen, out of the screen, and to the top right. Now, that indicates that what we're looking at is a cropped version of a much bigger field of view, as you just pointed out. This actually shows intent as well. Is that in my mind, the person that leaked this was not a spy, because if they were, why are you trying to crop out information? They also crop out the drone as well. So it seems like they were giving us the minimum amount of information that would be required in order to solve the mystery, which to me indicates that the person that did this was somebody who was directly involved, somebody that had emotional reaction to what they saw. They were probably one of the operators themselves and realized immediately when they saw it that the world would never get the truth. And the only way that that would happen is if they were to leak enough evidence to be able to prove it, which they probably thought just from the first video due to that 3D stereoscopic effect 
they knew amateur astronomers would be able to pinpoint USA 229 and the time that it happened and the coordinates indicated the Nicobar Islands. Now, that being said, let's go into what really happened with this plane. So the plane takes off at roughly 1642 UTC from uh, Kuala Lumpur, and it's going to Beijing, northeast. It has an uneventful flight for the first 45 minutes. At 1719 UTC is when the final communication happens, which is good night, Malaysian Airlines 370 from the pilot. There's no discernment in their voice. There's no alarms going off in the background. Everything sounds completely normal. 64 seconds later, the plane goes completely dark and it is lost on radar. It's no longer tracked on flight radar tracking. And this is the point where we have presumed now that a fire has broken out. Presumably, there was a minor explosion that happened for this fire to start based on the 221 kilograms of lithium-ion batteries that were in the plane. These lithium-ion batteries are extremely dangerous. There's a Straits Times, which is the Singapore newspaper report, indicating they were not properly security screened. If you go look up the history of lithium-ion batteries in airplanes, especially from 2010 to 2014, you'll find there were a number of planes and deadly incidents that occurred due to these. It was such a big deal that in 2015, the FAA created new rules and regulations so that these lithium-ion batteries could no longer be in the cargo hold of passenger planes. If you just go mail a letter at your post office, one of the questions they will ask you is that if there is any lithium-ion batteries in your letter. That's how serious it is in terms of these being in the cargo holds. Now, there's a number of witnesses that corroborate this event who have either been discredited or dismissed which need to be vindicated. First is Mike McKay. He was on an oil rig in the South China Sea. These oil rigs are elevated very highly, so he had a very huge field of view. And on the horizon, he saw MH370 burning. His account has been misrepresented to say that he saw the plane crash. He actually will himself say he did not see the plane crash. He just thought it must have crashed because fires are very deadly events on planes, and the plane's not going to last for a very long time if it's on fire. So he saw the plane in the correct angle, at the correct time, at the correct distance. Not just that, there were at least nine witnesses or accounts from the coast of Thailand and Malaysia that heard a loud bang at exactly 1720 UTC around the time of our event. There were two, or actually more than two, but several fishermen who were also on a boat, and they saw the plane flying low, very unusually, at 1730 UTC, which is roughly 10 minutes after the time where these lithium-ion batteries ignited. The reason why the plane would be flying low is that when this explosion happens, presumably it did depressurize the plane. So when they were developing this cover story, they talk about how the captain depressurized the plane. And sometimes when people are lying, they will use an element of truth in their lie as well. The thing is that the story doesn't match up for that because if they were trying to kill all the passengers, you would stay at a high altitude where the passengers would not be able to breathe, where the masks, the oxygen in the masks were not. If it's an emergency event, you're trying to save the passengers. Then you're going to fly at a very low altitude, under 10,000 feet, where there's enough oxygen for people to be able to breathe. And this is why at 1730, the fishermen on the boat saw the plane unusually flying very low. This plane flies all the way back across Malaysia and is going directly to the nearest emergency airport, which is Penang Langkawi International Airport. Now, there are some other smaller airports that are nearby that probably would not have been able to accommodate the 777. And this is the airport, if you look at the Wired article about the simplest solution, generally being the best solution, where they argue that this would have been the correct move for the pilot to make is to go to this airport. Now, keep in mind, 1730 UTC and 1752 UTC, by the time they get to this airport, is roughly one to two in the morning. 
the airport's closed. There's probably not a lot of people there that can help out. So the situation at this point in terms of why did they not land? They fly over this airport. Is either that it wasn't safe to land, that the resources were not available, or that the plane was damaged in a way and it simply could not land. The fire scenario accounts for this by pointing out that the plane was probably damaged and unable to land at this point. So we have presumed and speculated at this point that there was some communication, that this event didn't necessarily take out the communication system. And if that's the case, then those communications would have been classified by the U.S. government for the same reasons why these videos and fake narratives have been developed, is to protect the fidelity of the technology that we see that gets deployed. So when the plane flies over Penang, the co-pilot cell phone pings the station as well, which is an indication that they were trying to get some communication help or whatever might need to be done. So there are some clues that communication attempts were made. At this point, the plane flies directly towards the Nicobar Islands and our coordinates in our videos. The official narrative would have you believe they lose contact at 1822 UTC, and that's the last radar communication. However, at this point, I'm fairly certain that that is a false assumption that they've made in terms of the radar being lost. The reason for that is this radar data was only released weeks later. All the official reports from the next day say that they lost contact at 1840 UTC, which is the exact time that we have put our videos at at this Nicobar Islands location. So the plane is approaching the Nicobar Islands location, and then there's a witness. Catherine T is on a boat. She had been going from India to Phuket, Thailand. She sees a glowing orange plane. And I've actually spoken to her recently and did an interview with her, which I've posted on my Twitter account. You can read for yourselves. The two major aspects of this video, or several major aspects of her sighting, are that this glowing orange plane would indicate that the fire had broken containment and that the chemical gas, the halon gas, the reaction would have released a chemical that caused this plane to glow orange due to the gas permeating throughout the entire plane. This was the part where we reverse engineered the fire scenario and found all these other additional witnesses that I was aforementioned. I had a hard time trying to understand how this plane could be glowing orange from her scenario. And it could not be due to the orbs that we see because these orbs are going much, much faster than the plane. They would have had no issue keeping up with the plane. So the more logical scenario there is that the gas and the fire suppression devices had been able to partially put out this fire. But these lithium-ion battery fires are extremely dangerous. If you consider these birthday candles that they have that never go out, that would be a good analogy, is that you can put it out, but then it's coming right back up again due to the high amount of energy. And the most common cause for these lithium-ion battery fires is there being a defect in the batteries themselves. So this is not something that you can fix from being on the plane. You need to get it on the ground and you need to isolate these batteries. So the next thing the pilots are going to be trying to do is land the plane. And the only way you're going to try to land it would be in the ocean. There is an intercepted communication only reported in Chinese news that claims to be from MH370, saying that it is disintegrating and attempting an emergency landing. In our videos and corroborated by the witness Catherine T., the plane is relatively low, not at cruising altitude, and throughout the time of her sighting, she sees it descending significantly. We also see the plane descending in our videos, as we've proven from recreating the flight path of the plane and the circling attempt of the plane. We also see the smoke in the videos. Catherine T. reports seeing a very dark black smoke coming from the back of the plane. She thought that maybe the engines were having some type of problem. We would now speculate that, that is coming from the lithium-ion battery fire that had been not adequately contained. So all of these events corroborate the same situation, same scenario, an emergency event scenario. 
So if they try to land a plane in the ocean, it's not the same as trying to land a plane in the Hudson River. There are huge waves in the ocean. Even a controlled landing is going to cause the plane to break apart. So this is at this point, 2.40 a.m., roughly local time or Malaysian time, 1840 UTC. It was pitch black. The moon's not out, nor is the sun out. There's no light whatsoever. In addition to that, most mainland Chinese nationals don't learn how to swim. So in this scenario where the plane would have tried to land in the water, it most likely would have been the doom of every single person on board the plane. And that would have even been assuming that you could potentially even get emergency response there in the middle of the night in pitch black to try to help anybody out. So what happened instead is the most likely scenario then is this technology that we see is deployed to either save the plane or, as you mentioned, something related to these freescale semiconductor scientists. What I have kind of come to hypothesize at this point is they might be directly involved in the technology we see, which would be enough of a motive for the U.S. government to intervene, to take the risk that we see in this videos, which is just recording them in general, and to do this event. A lot of people would argue, if they have this type of capability, why aren't they using it all the time? Why aren't they making their enemies disappear? And of course, the answer to that is because every time you deploy this technology, you're risking it getting leaked to the public. And as you see here, that's exactly what happened in our videos. Somebody had such an emotional reaction, someone who was a patriot, that they felt it was necessary to let the public know the truth about it. So that's why it's very important for them from a compartmentalization perspective to only deploy this technology when it's absolutely necessary. Now, I like to think in the good of humanity and that they decided that they knew this plane was going doomed and that to deploy this technology, it was either putting out the fire or, you know, teleporting this plane to a safe location where they could manage the fire after that. It would be very hard to speculate where this plane went, but we are very confident that what we're looking at here is actually teleportation. The reason for that is initially I thought it was an annihilation event, that this was being destroyed. We can see in the thermals of a cold event, which again, this kind of debunks this hoax argument, because if someone were to hoax this video, they would have made it an explosion, which is actually what the VFX actually came from, is an explosion, a white, hot event. They would not have made it dark because there's no basis for that. There's no basis for anyone to believe that we could have created a black hole, except for the fact that the science all checks out from what we see in these videos. So it's not an annihilation event because E equals MC squared, and that every bit of mass has a huge amount of potential energy in it. If this was being annihilated like a nuclear bomb, the explosion would have been massive. It would have destroyed part of the planet, much, much bigger than what we see in these videos. The next thing that we ruled out was cloaking. That, okay, what if we could mask every single electromagnetic signature that there is to the point where the plane is no longer there anymore? The problem with that is the smoke. The smoke stops, dead ends its tracks the moment this plane disappears. If there was cloaking, then the smoke exhaust any of the byproducts of the plane would have still been visible as this plane is moving forward. So you would have seen the smoke, but you would have seen no plane. So the only possibility, no matter how impossible, is that this plane got teleported, a wormhole, intermediate black hole, call it whatever you want, a phase transition of the plane to a waveform. That is essentially how we've come to describe it from the scientific perspective. In essence, a reversal of the double slit experiment, which is what has brought about our discovery of quantum teleportation, quantum entanglement, non-locality. The idea there is the ability for faster than light travel that goes beyond what our current understanding of science is. So if you can phase transition this plane back into a waveform, now the plane can be anywhere it needs to be. And that's what we believe we're seeing here in these videos. Mm -hmm. 
man, you clearly know this material well. And when it comes to other perspectives, obviously one of the big ones is non-human intelligence. People think this was some kind of alien involvement or something, which wouldn't be unprecedented. There's a lot of stories of people having miracle scenarios with a car crash or a drowning and some spirit or something visits them and pulls them out and saves their life. That has a bit of a history to it in extreme cases. Nothing really like a plane full of people. And if they were saved by non-human intelligence, where are they? (laughs) But I guess one of the problems I have or the logical leaps is tough for me in the scenario you lay out is I just don't see the military caring or wanting to get involved or risking deploying such a technology to save this plane. And this technology seems so obscure. It seems difficult to scramble together to go get this plane. I mean, I don't know anything about it. I'm just saying it seems that way. I would think there'd be a a very small group of people who know how to use this technology and for them to be in the place to hit the button to go send it. I mean, that's a leap of logic to me, but go into a little bit more about why they would do this, because I don't think the military cares about life or death all that much. I mean, plenty of events would suggest that unless there's something very, very important about the people on the plane. So make that case a little bit. Tell us what you know about the people on the plane and just try to strengthen that part of the argument. So yeah, first of all, the non-human intelligence argument, initially when I saw it for at least the first week before I really dug into all the evidence around the videos, I myself thought it must be non-human intelligence, just too out there, too unusual, too exotic, consistent with what people have reported from you know, these dark triangles that are out there. And so it wasn't though until I dug more into the intent, the watching the videos, and I urge everybody else, especially to watch the thermal video in terms of how the thermal tracks the plane how it zooms in on the orbs, how it zooms back out right before the event. One of the key aspects is that this drone cannot catch the 777-200. It's much slower than it, which indicates that it must have intercepted it at some point. And then essentially what that means is that they got extremely lucky in filming this event at the exact right moment and somehow knew exactly how it was going to happen, or it was all planned to some degree. So one thing about non-human intelligence is that we need to be careful of is to not ascribe human motivations to non-human intelligence. A non-human intelligence is not necessarily going to have the same emotions and feelings that we have, right? So a lot of people want that to be the case. They want them to be benevolent, malevolent, whatever the case may be. I would argue the most likely possibility is they just don't give a crap about us, right? So we should look at it from that perspective. And what we're seeing here clearly shows some element of motivation and emotion from some type of being, which again would indicate that it's a human interaction that what we're seeing. Now, you had one hour and 20 minutes from the point where this plane goes dark to the point where we see our videos, which is plenty of time to scramble these types of assets if necessary. There was Thailand and United States training exercises that were going on in the area. So the assets potentially were available. And recently, we've looked to see that there are drones that would have been stationed in that area as well that could have come up here and take this video. The sentient system, which is the one that AI that controls the satellites is declassified, could have easily operationalized the satellites to ensure that they're aiming at the correct angle to take the video at the right time as well. 
And then with respect to the motive behind it, whether or not this is some type of espionage motive or saving the passenger's motive, it really comes down to these 20 freescale semiconductor scientists. That is too many people for the same company that are very important to be on the same plane. Most companies have a rule where you can only have three to four people that are from the same company on the same plane just for scenarios like this. So I find that very unusual. I chatted on the Not So Deep podcast with Chris, the host. He actually worked for Freescale Semiconductors back in 2014. And he indicated that these were extremely important people. So the fact that these were extremely important people leads me to believe that there must be some intent and motive behind why they would have taken this plane. Initially, if you listen to one of my earlier video podcasts, I thought this must be espionage because the motive then for this is control of the technology that we see. These people were going to China. It potentially would have been intellectual property that they're bringing with them to China that could you know, move China forward in terms of being on par with the United States in this technology. Now, the more I looked into it and realized this lithium-ion battery fire, then it casts more doubt on that type of scenario. And then it kind of brings up the other scenarios being more likely in terms of them saving the plane. And what we see here from this cold, dark event, this zap, that might somehow actually be putting out the fire related to the batteries. I can't explain it fully, but it seems like that could be a possible reason why they might deploy it. Now, the other thing I want to point out, too, is that one thing that's being deconstructed as well from these videos is people's preconceptions over the military government in general. I don't think that they are malicious. I don't think that they are evil. Yes, people can do evil acts, but collectively, we are not evil as human beings. If we were, they certainly would have disappeared me long ago before I had gotten to the point where I'm at now, where we're starting to reach national attention in terms of disclosing these videos. So I do want to point out that, and you know, I've talked to people as well. People have come to me and talked to me in private as well about this. And I think that the people that are hiding this information are doing it because they think that it's the right thing to do, that there will be severe consequences to society should this information come out, that we potentially might not be able to handle this information. So once again, I want to be cautious to this idea that people have out there that the government military is malicious and evil and wants to kill everybody, et cetera. Like that's the movies. That's not reality. In reality, that's a hard decision to make to end somebody else's life. And I don't think it's quite as simple as people make it out to be. Fair. That's not really the point of the day. You know, we will agree (laughs) to disagree on that a little bit to a degree. And it all depends on who's in place at the time. You know, there are good people everywhere. So maybe some good people had their finger near the trigger for this deployment of technology on this particular day and all the stars aligned. But what do we know about the leaker? of this footage, because my understanding is that the Regicide Anon channel is now gone, and Regicide Anon, that name itself is somewhat provocative to me, but talk to us about who we think might have leaked it, how it got to Regicide, how the second piece of footage came out. What's the chain of custody here between these two pieces of video? So we don't believe that Regicide Anon is related to the creation of this video or dissemination of this video, other than the fact that they had received it. So if you look at the description of their YouTube upload, you'll see that they mentioned source is protected. They actually don't use that anywhere else in any of their other videos, usually just uh, email submission, things like that. This indicates that they got it from somebody they thought was authentically getting classified information. Furthermore, the fact that it took so long for them to upload it is an indication that they themselves did not believe the footage to be real. 
if Regicide Anon was somehow involved in this, they would have uploaded it immediately after they received it, right? They wouldn't have delayed it for so long. There is another upload that has a description in it that claims that Regicide Anon argued for the validity of these videos to them. That version of the video is actually a higher quality. What this indicates is that neither of them have the original source, that they came from a third party. So this really is information that leads us to believe that there was somebody else who leaked this potentially to a private forum, dark web, somewhere else where these YouTube accounts picked it up. And then some of them potentially just didn't believe it at all, didn't post it. Regicide Anon was the first one. Maybe they were in contact with the person that leaked it and that they were directly convinced by them. And then what happened, they uploaded on May 19th, 2014. Three days later, Regicide Anon made a Twitter account. On this Twitter account, their first post was, check out these videos before they disappear or deleted. I may be paraphrasing there. They tagged MH370 in this post. This indicates that at that point, they knew that what they were looking at was both authentic and that what they were looking at was MH370. Now, in terms of the leaker, I didn't believe I would be able to find the person who actually leaked it. And now I think I almost certainly did. I looked up every single person because as we've already talked about here, if you look at the intent, now we realize that the person that leaked this had an emotional reaction. They were probably one of the operators and they're not a spy because they cropped out all this information. They removed the HUD information from the drone. They gave the minimum amount of information we would need to leak it. They were not trying to damage the US military, although they definitely did. And if you look at this profile, psychological profile of this person, then I searched for every single person that had been charged with espionage, that had been charged with willful retention of classified information, dissemination of classified information, or dissemination of national security information. All the popular ones that you guys have heard of, et cetera, looked at them all, nobody fit the bill, until I came across Lieutenant Commander Edward C. Lynn. It turns out Lieutenant Commander Edward C. Lynn fit the profile essentially exactly for the person that we were looking for. He had top secret government clearance and access to the black budget projects, the most classified information that is out there. So what I'd like to do is just read off a couple of the things about Lieutenant Commander Edward C. Lynn, which I think are extremely damning, that convinced me that he was one of the people. There was two charges that he got for disseminating secret information, which could have very easily been the two videos that we were referring to. On his charging document, it was heavily redacted including the dates that he had revealed this information, which I'm guessing if we look at that information would have indicated that they are correlate with the times of our videos. He had experience with signals intelligence, SIGINT, the system that I was mentioning previously, aboard the US Navy Lockheed Martin EP-3 Ares II reconnaissance craft. I looked into this craft and one of the capabilities of this craft is generating real-time video. He had charges that he was being sentenced to potentially facing life in prison. This was one of the first major incidents of espionage by an active duty member since the end of the Cold War. So extremely rare, extremely serious charges. In addition to that, there was growing doubt as to whether or not he was actually a spy, despite the fact that they were trying to charge him with espionage for life. They weren't able to make any significant connections with him and Taiwan or China, which is what they were trying to claim that he was giving information to. And if you look at it from the government's perspective of these videos, you could see how they might look at it and say, oh, this guy was trying to leak this information to China, Russia, anywhere else, right? Because this information gives them advanced understanding of the United States' real technical capabilities. His high level of clearance meant that he had access again to this Navy's black 
program portfolio. He was on an airborne signals exploitation squadron called the Special Projects Squadron 2. In addition to that, his deployment was from February 2014 to March 2016. He was reassigned, I just found out this morning, on March 25th, 2014. So the time frame of him being part of this squadron is right during the time of Malaysian Airlines Flight 370. In addition to that, there was a quote, while this didn't turn out to be related to foreign intelligence, not really a spy case, the sentence sends a strong message to the force about taking care of safeguarding classified and sensitive information. And this was a former military lawyer that made that quote. In addition, despite there being no evidence that the NCIS investigation that Lin ever exchanged sensitive information with anyone from China. So if you read about that, there's one article that mentions the curious case against Edward C. Lin, which goes to show that they were trying to cast doubt over what he was really being charged with and obfuscate the real situation. Even more damning, his defense lawyer argued that the classified information in question is available on the internet. That's a direct quote from his defense lawyer. So to me, that indicates the idea that this footage was out there. This is our footage that the, he was being charged with. The government responded and said that the fact that information is available on the internet does not declassify it. In addition to that, maybe even the most damning part of him being the guy is that in 2014, Lynn had accidentally left two flight manifests in his flight suit from a deployment that included search and rescue code names. I can't think of any other major search and rescue in 2014 that someone with this level of capability and access would have been a part of at that point. The only one I can think of is MH370. So in exchange for admitting to lesser charges, Lynn did not face the two instances of espionage. So what he ended up getting was a nine-year sentence with the last three years suspended. So they shaved off three years as part of the pre-trial agreement. That pre-trial agreement almost certainly indicates that he will never be able to talk about these videos again, otherwise he would go back to prison. So despite the fact that he took a plea deal, they still gave him nine years, which if you go look at other people that have given out classified information, General Petraeus, et cetera, these people got like slaps on the wrist compared to this, like a year less maybe. So despite that, he had a huge sentence. Now, another quote here, Lieutenant Commander Eddie Lynn never spied on his country. He served faithfully for the United States for over 17 years, becoming a highly regarded and decorated officer. He accepted responsibility for the offenses he was actually guilty of and agreed to debrief further assist the FBI and NCIS. This is a direct quote from him now. I get physically ill when I think about the damage I could have caused for my actions. I'm exhausted and broken in spirit. The best thing I can do is serve as a cautionary tale to others. What I want to tell Edward C. Lynn right now is that you are not a traitor. You are a hero. And we salute you. Hmm. Wow. Impressive research, impressive details. It's just incredible. I've been doing this podcast for over a decade. Few people come with this many details to make this strong of a case. So kudos to you as well. And one thing I wanted to revisit is we mentioned that the account that posted the original debunking, suggesting it was from this game from 1995. That was an odd situation, right? Because that account popped up out of nowhere, only posted that and then went away. Is that true? Yeah. So I looked into this account and it was a one day old account that had never posted before that needed manual approval from the subreddit in order to get the thing posted, which they approved immediately. 
then immediately became at the top and got more awards than I think almost any post has ever gotten on there, which is also extremely unusual considering the fact that the effect does not match our effect at all. And that even on the single frame where they try to match it is also not a match. And all you have to say to debunk this is just to ask how many pixels match. No one will even try to respond at that point. Goes to show that that was just simply disinformation that was pushed out there to get the thing to go away. And then there was a bunch of really suspicious comments about, oh, thank God this has been debunked and we don't have to talk about it. And they use that to immediately ban all further discussion of the videos forever from that subreddit right after that. Now, not just that, you know, I think this account can be directly linked to make West himself a metabunk. He's the only person to date that has found this 3DO effect. And he actually claimed it directly on his website, which I've taken various screenshots of. I have all the receipts. He's actually been accused in the past of Wikipedia for doing the same thing with sock puppet accounts. And it would make sense because if you think about who would be somebody who would need to use a sock puppet account to post something like this, it would be something who is controversial, potentially high profile. Because if he posted under his own information, the people that know he's full of crap would have downvoted it immediately and cast doubt on it. I also want to point out that this account that posted it answered no questions in the discussion about it. So this goes to show, if you look at someone who's authentic like myself, you'll see that I'm all over those threads answering everybody's questions about it, trying to get the real information out there to people. People that are deceptive don't do that. They just throw something out there to cast doubt and then they go and run away. So I would highly suspect that if this account is not McWest himself, it's somebody from the Metabunk that's in his direct sphere of influence and that it was a coordinated effort by them to cast doubt on the videos. I'd say that makes sense. Yeah, it seems like they deployed the old swamp gas, weather balloon, case closed scenario and then walked away. So in terms of post history and density of posts, like I would not have even looked at your own post history until these critics were like, hey, you should think about this because I don't want to do a whole show that turns out to be about nothing or is a hoax or whatever. So I looked at your own post history. Your Twitter started in January of 2014, which we're talking about an event in 2014. Your Reddit account goes back to 2020. You know, you just make a Reddit. People make Reddit accounts all the time. Sometimes they have multiple accounts for different reasons. But I scrolled and scrolled and scrolled and I had to go, I mean, I went back as far as I think I could it looks like on Twitter, you didn't even post until this year, but you have 11,000 posts. I mean, that's like 130 a day. It seems like quite a lot. And I don't see any posts through Reddit or Twitter that aren't about this. I mean, there's a couple. I'd say 99.9% .9 of your Reddit posts are related to this. And if I was just to look at myself, if someone was skeptical of me, I'd say, look at my Facebook. There's Images going all the way back to me in high school being drunk and being really cringe, stuff I would never want to be online, but the paper trail is there. Facebook was a different world when it first came out versus what it is today. And, you know, my post history is all over the map well before I started the show. So if someone thought I was a secret Freemason, I mean, you can do a deep dive there and try to figure that out. Every job I've ever said I had, there's pictures of me at that job. But in your situation, it just seems like this is your only interest and these accounts were made to talk about this work. Just a curious thing. I mean, the amount of posts, it makes me think, man, this is obsession 
or profession <laughs> in some regard, just to yeah. use a alliteration. So let me address all these because I think it's sure. probably important to break these down. This is the first time I've heard these particular, you know, suspected accusations or situations in general. So my Facebook, I do have a Facebook history that was out there for going back many, many years. And before this started to break and realized that I might become a public figure, I deleted everything. Now, it seems to have mostly got automatically deleted from some update that Facebook made in the last three or four years. I'm not sure exactly when they must have made some type of database conversion. And I was inactive on Facebook. I gave up on Facebook around 2020 or so. And when this came out, I made sure that my account was deleted and no longer existed anymore because I didn't want people going back through those types of pictures in general, find pictures of me in college or whatever else, et cetera, which again, I'm 40 years old. So that would have been nearly 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago that those pictures would have been out there. My Reddit account, let's address that. I did used to have a Reddit account for many, many years. And I deleted that Reddit account in 2020 and anonymized every comment that I ever had on it after I realized that I couldn't trust Reddit and that Reddit was under this manufactured consensus and social contagion and wiped every history of that account out there. This account that you guys are talking about that comes from 2020, I used my email account to create that. And turns out somebody had else already had created an account using my email account because my email address that was used is a very common name. When Gmail first came out, I got an account name that's one of these ones that might be considered like, you know, very hard to get. And so bots clearly used it. My name is additional ad with some numbers at the end of it, which goes to show you that somehow someone else had created an account. That's never what I would have called my account name in general. And so I've simply used that account. And that's the reason why all the accounts are, or my messages are about MH370 on the Reddit account, because that's the only thing I've used it for. With respect to my Twitter account, I did create that in 2014, and I used it initially as a video game streaming account when I was initially streaming on Twitch TV. That account has also been wiped as well due to the old age of it and you know, inactivity of it in general. And also, I made sure that everything wasn't there anymore because for the same reasons, I don't want my invasion of my privacy. As you can tell, there are many people who are mentally unstable who are trying to dig through my whole past history and cast doubt on myself and try to reach out to people that are talking to me. So this is exactly the reason why I would have got rid of that type of thing. Yeah, and again, with my own post history, you will find there is post history on Twitter that predates these events. And I have not deleted any of that because I do want to be able to establish the credibility that I am just a normal person before this that had normal opinions that some people may not agree with and some people may agree with. But I wanted to make sure that stuff's still out there so that people could establish that this isn't the only thing I've been interested in. Um, as to the 11,000 posts, I, I can't really speak to that. I, there's, I'm definitely not doing 150 per day. So that's definitely counting replies. On average, I'm posting four posts per day. And you can go back and you can see that. Again, I've only deleted one post throughout the whole investigation here. I do try to reply to as many people as I can. First of all, I appreciate the people who are honest and giving me positive feedback. And I want to let them know that their efforts and support is appreciated. And I think it's very important to establish that I'm a real person, that I'm not somebody who's sowing disinformation to try to answer as many questions as I possibly can from people who are honest. So that's my full explanation for everything that you just mentioned. And I hope that establishes my credibility further. Yeah, I think that's reasonable because that is what I was looking for is just evidence that you are a regular guy because these situations happen. Like who was Bob Lazar the day before he came out with all that stuff? Who was David Grush the day before? He was a national name, at least in the conspiracy subculture. And I didn't spend a lot of time on it. I scrolled back as far as Twitter would let me, and I didn't see anything like the oldest thing it would show me 
was the footage, basically. It wouldn't show me anything before that. So you say it exists. It probably does. Maybe there's just a limit on how far back I could go. I know some of the tools have changed, or I might have to use third-party tools to go back that far. But I think what you say is reasonable. And before we wrap this up, I mean, I really appreciate all the work you've done. It sucks to do all this work and then constantly be questioned about your authenticity. So I didn't want to do it too much, but it does seem somewhat relevant given the history of these sorts of things that come out of nowhere in the community and have these big epic claims about something. So I'm glad we could address it because like Terrence McKenna says, if it's all real and authentic, it can take a little pressure. So yeah, and I'm not offended by anything that you mentioned there. I think that it's probably important to get that out there and explain that, especially for other people who may want to interview me, especially that are higher profile that may be a little bit concerned about that history. So just real quick to your point about not finding it, I, I probably haven't made any posts for this because I was not a type of person who was trying to seek attention anyway. Again, I was just a normal person. You will find replies though with my opinions that are out there. I was already blocked by Mick West before this even happened because I had asked him about where he gets his money because he doesn't monetize his YouTube and he hasn't had a job for 15 years and he lives in a very expensive place in the country. So, you know, he blocked me for that without answering the questions related to it. You probably can find those replies that predate these videos entirely. So I just want to point out that I'm just a real person beforehand. I had 30 fake followers mostly before this started to blow up. I believe now we're pushing almost 8,400. And the reason for that is not because those people trust me. It's because those people have looked at the weight of the evidence and they've found it so compelling that they want to be part of the real story of MH370, the greatest conspiracy of all time. <laughs> Way to stick the landing. So just in closing, what are your goals beyond awareness? Is there a next phase? Is there anything in the works that we should leave people with in terms of the future of this investigation and also give them the links they should have? Yeah. So, I mean, I have stuff in the works, but at this point, especially based on what you just told me, I'm going to probably not disclose any of that information anymore going forward until it's actually out there. I didn't realize how coordinated the disinformation campaign was in regards to trying to discredit me before this interview. But yeah, there is a lot of stuff that's out there. I'm going to keep it pretty close to the chest at this point going forward. If you do want to follow me right now, the only place to really do that is at JustXAshton at Twitter. I do have a Reddit account that you can follow that's got hundreds of followers at this point. I didn't even know you could follow people on Reddit, honestly. So if you want to see my various replies to people on there, but I most likely will not be making any more posts on Reddit because I don't want to trust the platform in general. I have made several posts on the conspiracy subreddit because the moderators there have been very generous and not censored any of my content. So may post one or two more things there, but pretty unlikely. Otherwise, any of the stuff, media appearances and stuff that show up on there, if I get pinged into those threads, I will try to answer as many of the questions that I can. But I want to make sure that everyone's respectful. What we're trying to build here is a community that sets a new level of standard and discourse for the internet, which I believe has become extremely divided, hostile, a vitriol. And I want to reverse that trend if we can do it. In terms of what comes after MH370X, I don't know, honestly. I wanted to go back to just being a normal person. I'm starting to realize that that's probably never going to happen at this point. So when we cross that bridge, we will get there. But my first and foremost objective here is to get the truth about the videos, get the government to admit that what we're looking at here is MH370 on these videos, and then to disclose the technology related to them to the world because this technology has the chance to change the circumstances of millions, if not billions of people on this planet, people that have nothing. 
give hope to people and a unification that we can have a common goal and common purpose going forward to make society better. Well said, and cheers to that mission. In terms of getting the government to admit to this, I know you've filed FOIA requests. Is there anything else you've done officially to try to get some movement in that regard? Yeah, I've reached out to my congressman and sent them a letter. Actually, I hand delivered it to them just the other day with kind of my plea for why they should take it seriously, which I will be posting on my Twitter most likely later today. In addition to the body of work that I posted yesterday as well, attached as an addendum so that they could see all of that and all of the links related to it, by requesting a public hearing with Congress, because I think that that is the way that we can move forward. And I don't know that I'll necessarily be able to convince everyone in Congress. I don't know that we'll be able to convince everybody in the world. A lot of people will never be able to accept these videos to be true, no matter the weight of the evidence. But that's not necessarily the people I'm trying to reach. The people that I want to reach are the people that have an open mind. The people in Congress, what I would say to them is even if they don't believe that UAPs can be real, that reverse engineering technology can be real, let's look into the black budget projects related to this. There is going to be a money trail related to this situation, and we will be able to expose that. So if you bring me in front of Congress, I promise you, I will be able to show the evidence and it will be compelling. Mm -hmm. Well, look to uh, Catherine Austin Fitz for that money trail. She's done some amazing work on black budgets and how they funnel money into them. But man... Thank you for your time and the research you've done. It's very clear that you're dedicated and disciplined on this as a person would need to be to be taken seriously. And I appreciate you letting me be just a small footnote in the larger story of getting this out to people. Take care and best of luck with the rest of it. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for giving me a platform and a platform for this evidence to disseminate to even more people. So I appreciate you, Sue. Thank you. Ain't no party like a higher side party because a higher side party don't stop. Big thanks to Ashton. His polish and his recall of all the facts is really impressive. Like I said in the beginning, if the video isn't genuine, then we just wasted our time. But I think I did two interviews about the Jade Helm hysteria a few years back. And so it's really just a thing that happens every once in a while. I take my shots and they don't always make it, okay? And my biggest problem with this footage in particular is just how good it is. It's very crisp and epic, and it's basically in the we never get shit this good category. Some of you guys gave me a hard time for sharing that recent Bigfoot clip from the train because that turned out to be a fake. I just thought it was fun, and I saw it before... I realized how much it had already been shared or how much it would be shared. I thought it was a little more obscure or I just wouldn't have done it. But I also thought that was probably fake for the same reason, just too good. And because the fur was way too glossy and clean, which made it look like a Halloween costume. But I thought it was worth sharing anyway. Fuck it. Nobody knew 100% at the time. Now I think there's an official story and it's been proven. But you heard Ashton right away. As soon as we explained what the situation was, I asked about the authenticity. And I thought he gave a really great response. He has studied what kinds of devices can even take these images. He says he's identified the specific sources or the community has. And we have two different angles on the same event. 
If you haven't seen it, I'm sharing the link in the show notes. You should definitely give it a watch. Like many of you guys would say, my first impression was, well, this is just bullshit. I almost didn't even look into it deeper. But then I found out the subreddit was banned, and I was like, well, that's weird. This seems like a pretty innocent conversation. And then I read some of Ashton's posts about extra context and other elements of even the official story that make the plane's disappearance seem even stranger. And I started to get more interested. And then I thought, you know, maybe we should cover this. And here we are. And I would say, as a person putting themselves out there, doing their best to authenticate this footage as well as they can, and then articulate it in conversation, I give him an A+. But when it comes to the narrative that he considers most likely based on trying to fill in all the holes surrounding the footage, I'm less enthusiastic. And what do I know, really? He's done hours and hours of research for months, but I'm not sure I see the logic in a rescue mission scenario. I'm not even sure a lithium-ion battery fire explains all the weird occurrences, like why the transponder would be off and why the pilot wouldn't make communication. That aspect alone, I'm just not so sure about. And then from there, to say this exotic secret technology was scrambled together and used to rescue this plane, and then to keep all the passengers hostage, essentially, because it's not allowed to be known that they survived, I don't know. The only way I see that being a reality is if this was done by a group like the Caroline group we talked about with Paul Shatskin or the Invisible College or someone in the secret space program. You know, if secret brotherhoods with exotic technology exist and if they have sort of regular lives and then these secret lives like T. Townsend Brown had for a time, it could be as simple as one of their relatives was on the plane and they weren't going to let it go down when they knew what was possible. But that's something above a military level. That's breakaway civilization stuff. And I guess it's possible. For me, if the footage is real, then I probably just take it at face value that it looks like an abduction from non-human intelligence. Usually they bring people back after taking them, but maybe not always. It could have been a Philadelphia Experiment 2.0 kind of thing, but I don't think they would have used a public commercial flight for that. Unless it was designed to be some kind of showing of power to other nations playing the game at that level, I could see that. I guess there are a lot of possibilities, but I was impressed enough with the footage to check out the community, and then I was impressed enough with Ashton's posts that I reached out to get an interview with him on the books. I had not heard any interviews with Ashton when I initially asked him, but in the meantime, he's been doing a bit of a podcasting blitz. And if I had already seen a dozen interviews were already being done, I probably would have let this go and not pursued it on my own. I wanted to do it because it was different and obscure, not so I could be the 10th interview with Ashton. But it's all good. The footage should be talked about. I'd like to see the Corridor crew guys take a stab at explaining it. If you know who I'm talking about, send it in. 
So that has been the offering on the THC table today. In the Plus show, we talked about a bunch of different angles and surrounding context. We talked about why Ashton thinks the plane went to Diego Garcia, a modern-day Area 51 type of site. We talked about the doppelgangers situation. We talked about the science that supports the orb's movements, disinformation in the UFO UAP community, and we got into some uncomfortable questions about his own credibility and what his critics said to me. I personally am undecided on if it's a red flag that any history on his accounts prior to this particular investigation has been deleted. He says he used to Twitch stream and his Twitter handle goes back to those days. But the posts don't. The posts start with MH370. I understand why a person would delete old stuff. I understand why old stuff just would fall by the wayside, I suppose. But it's just so neat and tidy that, as far as I can tell, his online presence starts with this investigation. It's a little unfortunate. As I said in the Plus Show, when people doubt my authenticity, I just send them to Facebook because my entire history back to college is documented. In Facebook's early days, I put up pictures of drinking and debauchery that I would never put up today, but I haven't ever taken the time to delete them. I consider them largely just buried. I don't think I want pictures of me kissing girls that aren't my wife online as my kids get older, but as it stands, it's a pretty open and honest chronicle of my life. I've got pictures from every job I had along the way. And even this show didn't just pop on the scene, polished as it could be. It was pretty clearly a desperate man fumbling around trying to find a path to an enjoyable job and a useful life. It's sloppy. It's at times cringe. But that's the sort of stuff you should expect to see, right? So that's just something that stands out to me. But the footage is the footage. Let's not get distracted and let's not shoot the messenger, you know? But it's an interesting theory. Did we make a good case for it? You decide. If you like what you heard, join Plus. You get five two-hour shows a month instead of just the free first hour. It's easy. Just click the link at the top of your show notes and you can get access to the Plus show feed, which you can listen to on any of the same old podcasting apps you're using now. All the same stuff is true for the Patreon link, but you can also listen to Plus on Spotify because they're partners and you can pay through PayPal. Plus members also get 10% off in the merch store too. Check your email for the coupon code when you sign up. The artists I've worked with have made some really amazing stuff in there. I also have started putting up video clips from these episodes across all the various social media places that THC has a presence. And I thank Soundwave for being the guy to pick those clips and put them together for me. This would be a great time to utilize that. Hop on my Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube channel. And the first clip for this episode is going to include that footage for sure. So you can see us talking to each other while the footage plays. And this is why I started doing clips for situations like this. I know he is working on the David Avocado Wolf clips, but I told him to put that down and just get this clip out because the visual reference is so important here. 
But also free and plus listeners can go to the HiresideChats.com to check out the 10 plus year archive. There's a lot of timeless, epic interviews I'm still really proud of that shouldn't be forgotten. I've invested a lot of money into the site to make it convenient for podcast listening, and the mobile version is even better. I had a Netflix style display made for different categories and a category based search. So you don't need to know the title or the guest if you just want a big list of shows I've done that are about this, that, or the other. When you log in with your Plus account, the shows magically switch to the two-hour versions, which is quite nice. And you can also download everything free or Plus yours to keep. I'm going to get a little bit better about general communication about that sort of stuff. I got kids now. I got to do the best I can. But my pitch has not always been as good as it could be. And before I really wrap it up, how about that intro music, huh? I paid a guy to make one in the style of Alkaline Trio, and I think he did a really good job. And as for the meetup calendar, HiresideMeetups.com, go there to find events and talk THC with other locals and expand your network. Here are the next few events that listeners have put on the calendar. November 2nd, Flame International Restaurant in L.A. November 3rd, High Springs Brewing Company in High Springs, Florida. Also November 3rd, the Moonberry Mercantile and Trading event in Tarpon Springs, Florida. November 4th, the HOB Brewing Company in Dunedin, Florida. November 11th, another event in L.A., as well as one in Superior, Wisconsin, and a PlayStation Party Chat. Very cool. Join one of those if they're close or make your own event. You can also come see me at Jim Gale's event at Galt's Landing in St. Cloud, Florida on 11-11. A lot of big names going to be there. Should be a fun time. He asked me to speak and I said, Jim, I'm more of a goofing off in the back of the classroom kind of guy. The only audiences I like to address are digital ones. But it was nice to be asked. That's it for me. Thanks for listening. Thank Ashton if you appreciate his contribution to the mystery. I've done my part. Your move. Secret technology sequesters, MH370 rescuers, and alien technology reverse engineers. Your fucking move. Woke up this morning with light in my eyes. And then realized it was dark outside It was light coming down from the sky I don't know who or why Must be those strangers that come every night Whose saucer-shaped light Put people up tight Leave blue-green footprints That glow in the dark I hope they get home all right Hey, Mr. Spaceman Won't you please Take me along I won't do anything wrong 
The high side. 